Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Man, busy week coming up. Busy day today. Um, so we're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. This was Alex. And Alex was looking at some of the anatomical iterations that we that we talk about and some of the connective tissue behaviors, especially with some of the some of the bony relationships and I was looking at something in the lower extremity relative to the pelvis, and we got to talking about about how um, we'll see, you know, bony twists and torsions and things like that. And um, we got to the pelvis, and we talked about a representation of, of how the sacrum is going to behave, um, especially in the sort of like an early propulsive representation, where you've got some some uh, distal uh, tibial IR relative to the proximal tibial ER. We're going to see a similar representation in the pelvis. This is going to be our typical early representation. Now. Plastic model doesn't bend like a real pelvis. So what we want to consider though is that as we're looking at the connective tissue behaviors, especially this the yielding action that we're going to see, um, if we were stepping forward with the right side of the pelvis, right foot lands, we've got an apex that is relatively fixed. And then as we see this, this ER of the anominate, it's actually going to take the, the sacral base with it. So um, we, we have the sacral base moving back on this ilium as we have the ER denominant. The thing we want to recognize is that this is going to be a much more externally rotated representation here relative to the apex of the sacrum. So that's what we're talking about. Um, and, and this is just part of the, the normal connective tissue uh, behaviors, but it is useful in understanding when we have people that are, are biased in certain aspects of propulsion that becomes interference. We also want to make sure that we're addressing this from an iterative standpoint. A lot of your activities that you choose are going to address this, but in certain cases where maybe we have a, a local um, change that is not taking place, we might need to use a local or a, a focal strategy, um, which would be a little bit more effective from a regional perspective. So we might have to do something that's specific at the pelvis, we might have to do something that would be specific at the tibia um, in this circumstance. So Alex, thank you so much for, for asking this question. Certainly will be helpful for a lot of people. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I will see you tomorrow. Alex, do we have another animal question? Well, it sounds like you give the same answer for everything, so <laughs> may as well do. Um, so, sorry, I got to stop doing these calls. It's just getting it's getting way too complicated. Close to sign. So, when you have a, a twist in the the distal tibia, um, like an IR twist, I'm wondering how that's represented in the sacrum, and I, I'm wondering if that's like some kind of like concentric muscle activity posteriorly that kind of like, I don't know, almost folds it a little bit uh -huh. in. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of what happens? Sort of. I mean, so um, <clears throat> the, the, the hard part here is, is um, the, the amount of twist that you would see in the, in the sacrum is it's much more difficult to see that. Um, but if you understand the uh, the bony position of ilium relative to the sacrum, you can kind of see how the sacrum would follow into the ER representation and then hold the distal position. So fix the apex. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then turn the 
the ilium into the ER position, take the sacral base with it. Yeah. But don't let the apex turn. And then you start to see the twist through the sacrum. And that's that's the IR twist. Yes, sir. Relatively speaking. Yeah. So the sacrum's always been the sacrum's always been this. Yeah. Like, teach it, right? It's always this kind of a thing. When the reality is it's that kind of a thing. Gotcha. So that, that's actually, I think that's the opposite of what I was thinking in my head. Uh, <clears throat> if, if the, if the ilium's moving toward ER, how does that end up with the IR twist of like the, the distal tibia? Um, okay. Do I just, do you have your pelvis? Like a physical pelvis model? Physical pelvis model. Yeah. Is it close by where you could just reach over and grab it? It's upstairs. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You understand how the relative motion would occur between the ilium and the sacrum if I was moving the anominate into its ER representation? Yeah. Okay, you understand that there are there is a ligamentous structure on the anterior aspect of that sacroiliac joint. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to hold the sacrum still. Yeah. Okay, and I'm going to move the ilium into the ER representation. I'm going to hold on to the apex. I'm going to hold on to the apex with with my. We're going to do the right side. I'm going to hold on to the apex of the sacrum with my left hand so it cannot move. And then I'm going to do that to the, to the uh, anominant into ER. And it's going to try to pull that sacral base with it. It's going to create a bend that turns outward. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to fix this into IR relative. Do you see the twist? Uh, yeah. So, so it looks like. So the, the apex is the most relatively IR part of it. Relative to the prox relative yeah. to the base in this circumstance, yes. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so in, in terms of like some concentric muscle activity, like so I'm I'm asking this question is I'm thinking like you see someone with back pain walk in and they have like crazy twisted distal tibia and just like uh -huh. an uh -huh. easy way to to access like an eccentric orientation of some musculature to just make them feel better. Yeah. Um, would it, in that situation, would I be going, like, if I want to do some just general manual, like, to the closer to the apex? What do we call the posterior lower compressive strategy there, young man? The posterior lower compressive strategy. Well, okay. What representation do they typically come in with? Are they everybody stuck in early representation where they're absolutely? Oh, Okay, so when you're in a late representation and I have concentric orientation of posterior lower, what do you think is holding the sacral, the, the apex of the sacrum still so it doesn't move? Then I push, then I push the, the left ilium forward against the sacral base. Then I twist the sacral base into an ER representation relative to the IR representation of the apex of the sacrum. I'm talking about the same thing again, Alex. Why, why do I always have to answer the same question for you? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I wish I knew the answer. 
Do you see it though? Do you, do yeah. you see how do you see how it, how how it's made, if you will? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it is cool. Thanks. That, that, that's usually Manuel's line. He goes, "That's cool." Yeah, I I've, I've been hanging out with him too much, I guess. <laughs> do you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's and and so and and that's that, that's why it's like when you when you're in a when you're in a pickle and you and you can't make the change, it's like that's when you got to lay hands and you you've got to have you got to have the tool in the toolbox. It's like you address that, you reduce the concept of orientation, you take the demand, the the demand on the bony structure away, and then they tend to feel a lot better. Um, don't forget that the the bones are covered with connective tissues, like like the the periosteum. Okay. Very sensitive. You ever, do you dry needle? Yeah, I do. Okay. Did you ever go too deep on somebody's glute mead? Um, not specifically. I haven't done it a ton. Okay. You, you need the really big needles for that one. Um, no, you, 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 you poke them in the ilium and they, like their vertical jump increases by 12 and a half inches. Yeah. It's really sensitive. It's really sensitive. Yeah. So. So you, if you can take pressure off of the skeleton, they tend to feel a whole lot better. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Man, this is a busy week. We got, we're taking some days off here at the end of the week um, to extend the long holiday weekend here in the U.S. Um, so many things to get done. So we're gonna dig straight into today's Q&A. Um, this is with Vic. Vic asked a very good question, actually a very simple question um, to, a, to a certain degree, basically wanting to look at the representation of a late propulsive elbow. Um, what we have to understand is that every segment of the body is going to go through the propulsive phases. It's going to have a certain type of behavior in a certain sequence. And if we can understand that, then we can do our assessment and determine where these people are in space relative to the foundational archetypes. So the foundational archetypes are representative of starting conditions. We measure people at their point B, so to speak, and then we're going to close the gap between point B and point A to restore full relative motions. And so again, it behooves us to kind of understand where each segment is during these phases of propulsion. Um, when we talk about the elbow, those folks that are are um, representing the late propulsive elbow strategy will typically have lateral elbow pain if that is their their complaint of choice as it were um, and so typically then what you're going to do is you're going to move them from a late representation to an early representation very much like we would if we were talking about a pelvis under those circumstances because that's going to restore the greatest degree of relative motions and then you can start to superimpose any performance related activities on top of that so vic thank you so much for the question it will be very useful for a lot of people everybody have an outstanding tuesday and i will see you tomorrow no vic somo yeah i'm here okay eating breakfast <laughs> no, no, getting getting ready to go in. Uh, you have a reputation for for eating on these calls. Not once, not once have I ever done that. Bill, you ruined my you ruined my program. I had initially when you started, I had biceps and triceps written for six days a week, but then you said only the that? compound, only the compound lifts, the big lifts. You said so. I just scrap it. So hang on, hang on. It all comes down to how big your biceps are, dude. 
uh, let's uh, let's change gears to what I originally, <laughs> so I don't get shamed on the call. Um, could you describe uh, the screw hole mechanism for the elbow? I'm, I guess I'm not clear on that. Um, extend your elbow. There you go. Done. Uh, what's what's what? Uh, I guess what's happening at the uh, like the radio proximal radio joint. Okay, so so think about think about the musculature. Okay, here you go. Uh, if your elbow's bent ninety degrees, yeah. What's your primary supinator? Bicep. Okay, your elbow's extended by traditional representation, right? Fully extended. Wow. Okay. What's your what's your primary supinator? Supinator. Ah, interesting. Which way would that turn? Which way would that turn the proximal radius? Uh, into ER. Very good. Um, is there? Would there be a tiny little muscle on the elbow um, uh, that would uh, also put the uh, ulna in a, in a specific position. And conies? Yeah, okay. So I got a lot of compression. You see the compression in the, the posterior lateral elbow? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I got a lot of ER that's going on right there, that posterior lateral elbow. You see it? Gotcha. Okay. And you got, then you got uh, medial triceps, right? So you, yeah. think about, you think about the, so now take the, all that musculature <clears throat> and put it on a knee. And then look at the position of the knee under that circumstance. See it? Yeah, 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 I see. Okay. And so the, so the late representation of the elbow. So if you were in a high oblique sit, <clears throat> so you're supported on your hand and the, the elbow is in its late representation. That would be the screw home representation of the elbow. Mm -hmm. See yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so all of your lateral epicondylitis diagnoses and lateral epicondyalgia and all of those fine folks. There's your late representation. Gotcha. Yeah, I got eval today. She described to me, she said, I, I get, I get a pinching or my, my wrist hurts when I do push-ups. So it was, well, that's going to be like a slam dunk for you now, isn't it? She's got to head out to college, uh, tomorrow. So she's like, I only have time for Then you better be, then you better be really good today. Let's hope. <clears throat> you'll, you'll, you'll do fine. You know what you're doing. Thanks. Bill. Welcome, sir. Bill, so you biceps. Work those biceps. Yep. Bill, Bill, what the, oh, sorry. You said anconius and medial triceps. <clears throat> so you're going to get the uh, uh, the ERing of the uh, uh, of the uh, uh, ulna, the ER of the ER representation of the, of the radius, all at the same time basically what's going to happen and so that so if, if you if you use the ulna sort of like as a midline and you take that space that goes from ulna to the to the lateral epicondyle and just compress all that forward that's kind of what you're looking at yeah 
not a great force producing position, right? It's actually a reducing, like, like that's, a, that's a position that is reducing its force production, okay? Which is why when you see somebody lock out with the, the so-called hyperextended elbows, yeah, that's why you don't want to see that. Uh, and I see it often. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And I'm guessing it's more females than males. Am I correct? Yeah. Yep. yep. So would the would um the lateral like epicondylitis type stuff, would that be analogous to like the lateral hip pain kind of thing? Where like you get that twist coming up? No. So I'm picturing like the it would be like a medial knee pain. The lateral at the elbow would be like medial knee pain. Yes. Uh, I don't see your, that. Your legs are on. Your legs are on backwards. Uh, oh. Oh. Light bulb. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and. It is perfect. All right, today's Wednesday. Normally, I would be announcing the Coffee and Coaches Conference call for tomorrow morning. However, we're taking a few days off, and so uh, no coffee call this week. We will resume next week as usual. Uh, appreciate y'all. Um, everybody enjoy sleeping in um, tomorrow, or just sit back and relax with your coffee instead of digging into the normal Q&A. Um, which reminds me, digging into today's Q&A. This is with Manuel. Um, Manuel's question is, has to do with, with how do we promote expansion in certain types of clients that actually have trouble with this because of their physical structure? So we have to consider the archetype of the individual, but we also have to consider the configuration of the axial skeleton. Some people are biased towards um, being much more compressible, if you will, at the, at the superior aspect of the axial skeleton just because of their physical structure. And so this influences the way that, that pressures are managed um, and also the directionality of their internal forces. And so this might be why um, your 45-year-old accountant who's never played a sport doesn't really have a great vertical jump uh, because they figured out early on their physical structure is not going to allow them to be this great athlete. Therefore, they shifted gears and they went more towards their academic endeavors and became accountants. Um, we have to consider this when we're working with athletes as well. There are certainly strategies that allow us to overcome some of these biases, but it behooves us to understand how these pressures are managed, especially when we're trying to select activities to restore relative motion. So this is a really good question for a lot of people. Thank you, Manuel. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. Um, we'll be coming back after the, the Labor Day holiday. Um, we'll throw some stuff up probably while we're gone, but uh, generally speaking, I will see you guys on Tuesday next week. Go ahead, Manuel. Okay. Um, so I had a quick question about how to um, get some expansion uh, with a pylon person, you know, with a pylon-y athlete. I'm with you. Especially yeah, I'm now that aware. we've been... So, you know, especially with the athlete that we were talking about earlier, who was uh -huh. uh -huh. uh -huh. uh -huh. given that they have such a compressive strategy that's pushing them down. Yes, sir. How, I, how would I start, or at least what should I consider for a pylon that, you know, uh, 
compared to say a, a different kind of archetype or representation? Well, that's not an archetype, it's a configuration. So don't configuration, continue. yeah, I was yeah. looking for the word. That's okay. No, um, so so think about the, the conical shape yeah. of the rib, yeah, okay. So I've got a conical shape of the rib cage that's gonna be an influence there. So that means that the, 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 the amount of pressure that you have at the top is you're, you know, you have the downward bias. And so if you were, let, let's just say that you could flip somebody perfectly upside down, that would be like the ultimate solution, right? Because we, we, we'd be, yeah, we'd be able to take advantage of gravity and, and, and promote the, the fill, if you will, from the, the top down, understanding that the top is now the bottom. That would be the ideal situation. Very difficult to pull off in most uh, training environments. Um, not impossible, but certainly um, difficult. So then the, the next best thing would be to have some form of, of supported inversion where I would have pelvis higher than shoulders. The only problem you run into that is that if I'm supporting through the upper extremity, then I have to make sure that I have the upper extremities in a position that they have access to via ER space, superimposition of IR. And so this tends to be some of the prone activities that do work, okay? But let me offer you this. Take that person, take a pylon, take an orange construction cone. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like the pylons that are out on the street. <clears throat> Knock it over, okay? So that's laying on its side. Is the top of the cone lower than the bottom of the cone by the angle? Yes. So right away, if I don't have any, uh, any other solutions that will give me like a true inversion with A to P, I could at least lay you on your side and tip the cone over to promote the, the expansion superiorly relative to the, to the inferior aspect. Do you see it? Mm -hmm. so, so there's an advantage there. Like that would be the, that's the, that's the sort of regressed um, solution, if you will, um, for somebody that can't do like some form of supported inverted activity. Mm -hmm. So literally the shape of their body gives us an advantage by just flopping them down on their side. Now you got to concern yourself with head position and things like that. You don't want a head that's hanging off of a, a thorax or something like that. So you might have to support that to some degree, but, it, but you can just use your sideline. Like anytime that you need to get um, the, the superior aspect expanded. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've got an upper DR concern or you've got a maneuverial concern, as far as that, that expansion is concerned, sideline gives you that advantage, mm -hmm. right? In, in every case, because I'm still, I'm still reorienting gravity and that's what allows that space to expand. So, so I don't have to do anything funky with arms or neck or anything like that. I just literally need to tip you over and I've created a mechanical advantage for expansion. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just, I noticed that um, compared to just say like a narrow, like a more of a funnel kind of type uh -huh. uh, with the pylons, they, yeah, the head position is more important because they tend to get really shruggy or just, yes. they really, yeah. they really want to push down even when you're inverting or in sideline uh -huh. compared yeah. to the narrow, narrow. Yeah. But, but the fact that you can identify that you're way ahead of the game. Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and 
It is perfect. All right. Well, we are back after a few days off. Um, very restful. Saw some great friends, great people. Had a great time. So we are back in action, back on schedule. Um, housekeeping items. Um, today is Wednesday. That means tomorrow is Thursday. That means tomorrow is 6 a.m. We are back on the coffee and coaching conference call. Um, please join us. Grab some coffee. Great Q&A. Great people. Um, I think this is call like 118 or something like that coming up on Thursday. Um, so again, please join us. A uh, quick reminder for those of you that are members of iFast University, we have a makeup call on Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're not a member of iFast University, please go to ifastuniversity.com, get yourself signed up and join us for that call on Saturday. Digging into today's Q&A, uh, this is with Nikki and uh, Nikki was, um, was moving and was digging through some old books and she came across a book called The Men's Health Big Book of Exercises that I contributed to many, many years ago. I believe it was 10, 12 years ago. And she was asking whether this, this program was something that um, I would still consider effective today. And I think from a principled standpoint, and from a programming standpoint, probably would, but probably would approach this a little bit differently. And I think this is one of those things that we have to understand that we're going to evolve over time and as our reasoning improves as our tools improve that we should expect to see changes so if you look back five ten years at some of your programming programs you may find that you're doing a little bit of eye rolling and a little bit of uh, forehead slapping every once in a while uh, because you would consider yourself a, a, quite a bit more evolved in your in your thought process and reasoning so i think we should all experience that to some degree as you progress through time i think that the the, the differences that you would expect would be much, much less, considering the fact that your reasoning should improve over time. This is also one of the reasons, though, why early in your career you want to consider um, uh, participating in a mentorship apprenticeship situation so you can actually borrow reasoning from someone that has a lot more experience. It's going to accelerate your process and save you a lot of time. So, Nikki, thanks for the memories. Thanks for a little bit of a chuckle. Um, but uh, and also thanks for being on the call as usual. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call. So since I moved, I had to go through all my books. Oh, <laughs> you, are you reading my stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, like this is like what? I don't know how many years old. Ten. It's a thousand years. It's a thousand years old, Nikki. Is that, yeah. that so? Adam Adam Campbell gets gets the byline on that one, right? Yeah. yeah. Adam's a, Adam Adam is a dear friend of mine. Um, yeah, we go way back to like two thousand and three. I think was the first article I wrote for him. That's yeah. uh, it's aging me too because I've had this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's an oldie. That's an oldie. So with it being so long ago, what are your thoughts on your program that you wrote in here? I don't know. I don't even, I don't even remember what I, Nikki. So, so, so let me offer you this. So this, this is how, this is how programming works over time. Okay. Like if I write a program today, it's awesome. It's great. Does everything that I wanted to do. And then if I look back five or 10 years, um, remember the scar I have on my forehead there? So because I'm at my desk, I have to bang it on the hardwood a little bit. And then I, after I stop laughing at myself, um, 
you know, you sort of recognize the fact that, oh, I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, Cause the, the, your, your, your thought process evolves, your programming evolves, right? Um, I wouldn't say that it's a terrible representation of, of a program, but it's not, it's not my best work because again, I've just evolved a lot since then. And, and again, this is me saying like, I don't even remember what I wrote. I can just tell you that it's probably not what I have written today. I mean, it was the ultimate fat loss workout. Oh, that one. Oh God. <laughs> well, but see, so, so here's what you want to pay attention for there is, is you want to look at the, uh, like the, the, the parameters, like right. the work rest ratios and things like that. Right. Because right. what, you're, what you're trying to do there is you're trying to drive uh, a certain type of energy production that stimulates a, a cascade of events to promote the, the, the fat loss, right? From a workout perspective. Workouts that are, that are designed to promote fat loss um, um, are an adjunct to the uh, appropriate nutrition. Right? Um, they they are not the solution, so you gotta gotta be careful with, with that. But but you can't influence certain aspects. To but anyway, yeah. But thanks for the chuckle. I appreciate that. I thought you might like it. I yes. I looked at it too. And I was like, this has been in my arsenal for about a good decade. Like, like if you, I tell you what, if you're an Instagram influencer, it's a good book to have because there's like a gajillion exercises in it. And then you can just like, oh, I need a new exercise to do today. Even though you've never done it before. I'll, I'll, I'll do this exercise. People will love it. I'll have no, no whatsoever, but I'll do that. I do use for my clients, so it helps. It, it does, it does. Because clients need a little bit of variety, right? Right. It helps for sure. But thank you for thanks for the memories. You're welcome. Sorry, Lewis is cranky. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neuro coffee in hand, and it is perfect. So Zach, first up. All right, so I think I got a relatively quick one. Um, I was thinking about chops, like um, for the purpose of unweighting um, uh -huh. to help acquire a position. I guess uh -huh. I'm getting a little mixed up in my head. Um, so I guess like the way I'm seeing it, like I understand that as I pull down with the cable caught, whatever I'm using, um, that's naturally going to unweight me. Uh -huh. But I feel like I still need to be able to acquire the position in like an unweighted context. Yeah. For it to be useful so i'm trying to figure out like exactly what is the purpose of the unweighting if i can acquire it in a non-unweighted position and it's like i guess yeah i could ramble but that's kind of the general idea you mean you mean why even use a chop in the first place yeah like i'm like am i driving something from like a wave standpoint as i do the motion into the I hope so. so i guess i'm trying to head that yeah. direction with it because i guess I've only thought about it from an unweighting standpoint up until right. now. Well, okay. So you, what you have to be able to do is see thing, see things through time. So I always talk about space time, right? And and so um, the same thing is not happening the whole time. Okay, you do reach an end point where there's no motion, right? 
You understand? Um, okay. Can we can we talk? It stops. There's a stopping point. Yes. Okay. What happens at the stopping point? Stop. No motion. Okay. What typically happens in regards to your ERs and IRs when we stop motion? Um, they become like superposed. Okay. So that's, that's actually a really good thing because it's a nice representation of what's actually happening during the activity. So as you initiate the activity, okay? So let's just say that I'm chopping this away for the sake of argument, okay? Uh, I got right foot forward lead or something like that, okay? Okay. So I'm chopping left to right, right foot forward lead, All right? As I initiate the chop, that would be the greatest in greatest moment of unweighting. Can you understand that? When you like when you first start pulling down on the weight? Yes. Um, so so think about your right foot contact and where the load is relative to the right foot and where I have to go to get the load. And then how do I initiate it? Would I lighten up the right foot? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Think about the end point of that. So let's just say that I'm aiming for the uh, medial aspect of the right heel and I get to the end point. Is that the same as the initial position? No, it's not. Okay. Do you see the difference in the two positions? Now, what you have to recognize then is there's a difference in motor activity here. Okay. As I initiate, and I, if I am unweighting, I'm up, I'm light, my center of gravity will go up relative because I am now part of the, the entire cable system, aren't I? Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've made the system one thing, okay? And then as, as I get closer and closer and closer to the heel, what am what is happening to movement? getting closer and closer to yeah they're getting closer and closer together until they become one there's the superimposition or the or the superposition right so i have an er representation to initiate the the movement but because i'm 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 actually producing more force as i'm as i'm pulling i am pulling it into a position where i'm going to superpose and then movement's going to stop so the the production of like so the increasing amount of force that you're producing as you come from left to right, that is a product. It's not a product of the like amount of weight itself because the load is fixed, but it's where your center of mass has to go because like if it's a right foot forward to get to, if, if it's offset, I have to move my body left and then I'm naturally bringing it over the right side. Um, all right. Okay. Don't. I'm, I hope I'm not going to create some confusion here. So okay. Only one way to find out. But I'm well. I'm well. I'm going to try. So 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 get to the end point. Okay. If you could go past that end point. Okay, and you can't. It's like we're we're inside the base of support, so there, it's going to hit an end hopefully. Okay. But if you tried to go past that end point, what would have to happen? for you to either go farther in, in one direction or the other. 
now? Is it just creating like an ER orientation? Yeah. yeah. So, and Manuel did it with his hands. You, you could see it. It's going to be either an ER or an IR orientation at that point. Because I have superposed the ERs and the IRs at that point in, in time. Okay. Now, it doesn't just happen with the chop, Zach. everything uh-huh exactly exactly and so so this is how this is how you so as you're as you're moving through these excursions you're moving through the expanded and the compressed and the expanded and the compressed and the expanded and the compressed and so what you're doing is you're learning how to create and maintain a gradient depending on the context of the position the movement and the force relative to where you are in space so the the goal of the setup so like, I guess I hadn't really thought about that activity as having like a complete Have you ever heard me say that the setup is as important as the execution of the exercise? Yes, of course you have, right? So if we were talking about a cross connect, we're going to have the same conversation. Yeah. Right? Okay. So yeah, like I guess like with like a lot of these like, activities where like the restoration of relative motion the goal I, I hadn't really thought about it's still having a component where like er and ir are coming together so yeah. i guess like, would, a, would an accurate statement be that like the goal of the setup is to put them in a position where like their bodies can manage that entire spectrum but then like it's still advantageous because that cycle back and forth is what's going to give you the restoration as long as you're within like a, a space that they can handle that. I think, I think what you said is, is accurate. Can Thank I simplify you. that? Definitely. Please do. Okay. For movement to occur, there has to be a gradient. The setup establishes the space. The movement is going to compress that space until everything is superposed. That was a better way of saying it. <laughs>
So thank you, Matt, for this question. Probably gonna guide a lot of people in the right direction in regards to this activity um, as it gains in popularity and people are, are reproducing this in multiple videos with bad information. So again, thank you, Matt. Everybody have an Outstanding Friday podcast will be up on Sunday um, as usual. Everybody have an outstanding weekend. I'll see you next week. Hey, um, I've been playing around a little bit with uh, foot contacts at the gym. Um, uh -huh. Generally, just to put it into perspective, I think you know we deal primarily with sort of groups of groups of people coming in so it's not so much one-on-one -on -one. so what I'm looking for is some and I know it's n equals one but I'm looking for some tools that might be applicable to a large portion of our clientele that we can use as a safe to fail measure that will bring them closer to a better representation of what we are looking for and so starting with the feet um I was looking at that, uh, looking at that drill that you guys that I saw uh, uh, happening at IFAST there in respect to uh, the knee health drill. So we had that the, the banded representation of the uh -huh. rotated distal uh, yeah. femur, middle P, the middle P knee thing. Yeah, the middle P thing. So. Uh -huh. um, I was looking at that and then noticing that I I, I thought. I couldn't think of a contraindication for when, aside from a pain response to it, right. that that drill would not be useful as a measure for getting a alignment for us to go into middle P, a better alignment for that. For people. Yeah. Um, um, go, go ahead. Sorry. Finish. And, and I was encompassing that with the, the corresponding uh, ankle uh, drill that, are, that that I've seen you use too with the foot up on the on the box and the manipulation of the, uh -huh. the manipulation of the rotation relative yeah. to that, yeah. and so in combination with acquiring a foot which is put it this way closer to a uh, closer to a, a middle representation of a foot, so those who are collapsed arches, you know, manual manipulation of the position, and uh -huh. quite often they, it, surprisingly to me that they can actually. For the duration of that drill, a lot of people that that would normally wear orthotics and have flat arches can connect pronated feet can actually hold that position quite well. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. So yeah, we've been playing with that, and I was just trying to think through through my head as to whether there was any contraindications for that, and whether I'm aside from a pain response, yeah. whether that would not be applicable for almost everybody in the sense that it brings them closer to what we're looking for. Well, okay. So 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 what? Think about this. Can I can I give you a test question? Yeah, definitely. What what think about the position that you're trying to acquire? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um in in what what are you what is the end position? So so they you they they pushed into the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And then think about the what what you're trying to achieve here in regards to your ER and IR representations. Okay. Okay. Yep. So we can go back to Zach's question, actually. It, it'll it'll help us conceptually, right? Because we're we're moving into a position where motion's going to stop, right? Yep. But but how are we getting there? See, that's going to be the question. Okay. So 
if if we're going into a position where where movement's going to end very specifically in this case because we're we're sort of we're sort of constraining the system rather aggressively with some bands and 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 the the position where are we where are we trying to end up we're trying to end up in a in an IR representation so we can put power into the ground there you with, go okay you can stop right the there you yeah. can stop right there and i'm going to be thrilled with that okay okay what's the interference to that well the interference to that is going to be first of all their limitations in um either connective tissue stiffness or orientation further up the chain that's going to simplify it simplify it simplify it talk ERs and IRs okay um what each way up the segment are you talking about or just in a general you don't even I I think you can speak I think you can just take the you know step back and and take the uh I guess it would be for you a 10 meter view right so you're going to stand way back and you're going to you're going to look at them right what would be the interference? So, so I'm trying to get to a position where movement's going to stop. So this becomes the superposition of ERs and IRs. This is force mm -hmm. as aggressively into the ground that I can produce right, right before the max P, right? Where I'm going to release some energy, okay? So I got to get the downforce in this scenario, okay? What interferes with that, that capacity? ER or IR? Oh, again, what would stop me from producing downforce? What would stop me from producing downforce? Yeah. 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 Real simple. Yeah. So, so, so then this becomes the answer to your question is like, okay, um, when should I not do this? Sorry, you dropped out for a second, Bill. So, so the, the answer to your question then is, is when would I not utilize this drill effectively? What's the interference? The interference is the inability to produce the IR, which means I've got too much ER represented. So this might be a pelvic orientation. This might be um, a bony adaptation that is preventing me from capturing the IR position. Nice thing about the drill itself is that it's going to help you promote some IR. There's no question about that. But, but again, it's like what I don't want to do is train people to try to produce this downforce in the yard representation. So there may be something that you have to do prior to to improve the position, right? Versus just relying on the drill itself. Even though, like I said, you can have a pretty decent outcome, right? But again, yeah. like I would caution you, like so, if, if you have somebody that, here you go, I'll give you, I'll give you an example, okay? Um, wide ISA individual, sixty degrees of right hip ER, twenty degrees of left hip ER, okay? And you're going to try to do this drill on the right side. This person probably doesn't have access to internal rotation on the right side without an orientation probably not the best choice yet okay do, do you do you see why because they really wouldn't be able to bring their center of gravity um towards the the center right it'll be too far yeah. to the outside edge of the base of support 
okay? So you might need to do something ahead of that to bring them back towards, the, the, so they can capture like the medial foot contacts without a compensatory strategy. So would there be any benefit in, I, I appreciate when we've got people that obviously have other uh, things going on that are going to make them compensate to get into these positions. Mm -hmm. Is there any localized benefit, tissue benefit to allowing? So if we can, if we can get the the the, the relative bones to move into the position the way that we're we're hoping to, we're going to get some tissue yielding and, and at least have the capacity to move into those positions at a, at a localized level, mm -hmm. and then then approach the the more global aspect of uh you know it, it could be for instance you know using a, a supine cross connect or whatever whatever the other activity is that we we're trying to get the hip ir uh, uh -huh. using um so what i'm asking is i guess if is there still going to be a down like if we use that as the only source of, of an intervention yes that wouldn't be a good idea but if we use that in conjunction with the other things is there still, there's still a, like, there's no, I'm still trying to configure where, I'm still trying to get in my head where there might be a downside to that. I understand using it in isolation, but using it in conjunction. Well, once again, once again, I would, yeah. I would say from a coordinative standpoint, if you're trying to teach people to produce force with compensatory positioning, right? So That's if, I have, if I have a compensatory ER and I'm trying to get a down force, and I can't capture the, so, so think about this, Matt. It's like when, when we talk about the direction that you're applying this, it's like, this is gonna be a top down kind of a thing, right? Like I gotta drive, I have to drive the IR from the pelvis downward. Yeah. If I don't have the pelvic position to, to drive downward yet, I'm gonna to try to teach somebody to produce force in ER. Does that increase the risk during the activity itself? Maybe not. Does that increase the risk during some other activity where they then try to use that strategy to produce force? Yes. Yeah. That yeah. becomes that becomes my concern, right? I don't think you're going to destroy anybody during the exercise. It's yeah, it's gotcha. fairly benign, right? I mean, you could yeah. still you could still hurt somebody. I mean, there's no question about that. But mm -hmm. but but again, when when you think about it, it's like oh, they're gonna they're gonna learn a strategy through this activity that they may try to use elsewhere. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is what I don't yeah. want. Them to do. And so, again, this is why the, this is why the the access to the force producing position through relative motion becomes so important. So, again, we're, we're going back to Zach's question. It's such a such a perfect setup for this. It's like I got to have the relative motions available to me because the position that I'm ending in is no relative motion. Like the body becomes yeah. one big piece. Yeah. Right jamming it jamming force into the ground it's like okay i better make sure that my or that that my my um structure is organized effectively to produce force okay makes sense that's good yeah yeah for sure that's good yeah. okay that's good. good question